I thank Steve for reading that when you've been at Christian camp for three and a half days yelling at them a day in and day out and you get to Sunday and your voice is just kind of barely hanging on so that saved me a little bit from having to read the text have you ever read this text and wondered why is that there (laughs) you read that and go shouldn't this be the start of chapter 5 Moses goes back and let's start doing some plagues right it's it's a very strange text uh, that that is given to us Uh, and what we're going to do is look at it and remember what we have seen the book of Exodus is about the book of Exodus is God's picture book of redemption and these things are here for a reason and and ultimately to give us a picture of the redemption that God was going to accomplish through Christ these things are sitting here for us to uh, prepare us for that reality and so that's what we're going to get to see uh, as we move through this text and I'm really excited about it's a shame everybody's on vacation because I don't know this is a really cool text so we're going to have a good time uh, with it Uh, We'll begin with just the call from verse 18 uh, to verse 23. Uh, And as we notice it, remember we had Moses at the burning bush. That's how we uh, wrapped up the middle of chapter 4. Chapter 3, in the middle of chapter 4, we have Moses. He has been giving excuses as to why he is not the right man to be able to go and deliver the people from Egypt. The final excuse that Moses gives when he just simply says, send somebody else angers God and and God says listen that's just not how it's going to work and we talked about that uh, then then last week and reminding uh, God, uh, God reminding Moses I'm going to have you use your brother Aaron and you guys are going to go and you're going to do the task so we have in verse 18 Moses going back to uh, his father-in-law I think most of our versions uh, say, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. Uh, Many have read that and thought that seems pretty disingenuous on uh, Moses' part because, of course, they're still alive. God just told you to go rescue them. Uh, And so mommy will say, well, is Moses lying and trying to deceive uh, Jethro? However, I think it's important to recognize that I don't think that's what he's doing, but rather he is asking that he is going to go back and see how his people are doing. Uh, this may very well be and seems highly likely to be a an idiomatic expression that is being used. Well, Saul, we see this in the book of Genesis. In chapter 43, 45 and verse 3, if you remember Joseph asks his brothers and says, is my father still alive? Well, the chapter just before, they said he is alive. So Joseph, one chapter later, did you forget that your father is still alive when you turned around and asked him in the next chapter later? No, the way of saying that means how is he doing? It's an idiomatic expression to say, what is his condition? How is he, he doing? And that seems to be what Moses is doing here as well is saying, uh, Jethro, we want to go back to Egypt because I'm concerned about them. I'm going to see how they are doing. And so I think that's an important beginning point because a lot of people have kind of jumped on Moses and said, well, he's already, you know, twisting truth right here. And I don't think uh, that that is the case at all. What is also interesting in this in this beginning is what God says in verse 19. The, the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. 
Now you might read that and think that's kind of a throwaway statement. Or, you know, okay, so so uh, they're all dead, and so now it's now it's safe for you to go back. However, it's a lot more than just a declaration of safety. What God is declaring by saying those who seek your life are dead is making a declaration that this is now the beginning of, of God's deliverance. Now is the time. If you remember earlier when we studied Exodus, do you remember who it was who was going to kill Moses? Pharaoh, right? Remember, finally news gets back to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is the one who's seeking his life. And so this is indicating that Pharaoh has died. Now, you might already see the foreshadowing of what's going to happen with that. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 19. But when Herod Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went back to the land of Israel. What was the point of that? Well, if you think about what happens right after this declaration, the very next paragraph is chapter 3, John the baptizer is preaching, repent for the kingdom is at hand. To declare that Pharaoh and Herod are dead is to say it is now time for this deliverance to occur. The ones who are seeking your life are dead and the indication is God is saying, now I'm going to get started. It is time for this deliverance to begin. It is time for redemption to begin. And that's what's happening here in chapter 4 of Exodus in verse 19 when the Lord says this to Moses. It's not just simply, you know, it's going to be okay, but it's going to be okay in a very big way. We are now going to accomplish this redemption and this Exodus that he was trying to accomplish 40 years earlier. Now is the time. Now it is going to be successful for God is with them and this is what is going to happen. As one other little thing that I think is is neat in, in, in this call, uh, verse twenty, Moses took his wife and his sons, and they rode on this donkey, and they went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. You remember what that staff was? All that was is when Moses is standing there, going, "They're not going to believe me." One of the first things God says is, well, what's that in your hand? Staff. Okay, throw it down. Becomes a snake. Moses runs. Go back to pick it up. Now this staff is called the staff of God. Because what we're seeing is verse 21 is God says, here's what I want you to do. Go and perform all the miracles that I've given you to do. And so you have the staff of God now with you. Kind of like a confidence thing. God is with you. You have God's staff and you are now going to perform all of these miracles. But notice what God says to Moses. And this is very important when you come into chapter 5 because things aren't going to just be uh, hunky-dory and wonderful when he returns. Notice what, what you see God saying there in the middle of verse 21. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Just a reminder, Moses, okay, you have the staff of God, I'm going to perform the miracles, and those who are trying to kill you are now dead, and so it's time for redemption, it's time for deliverance, but know something. When you get there, Pharaoh, he's not going to let you go. In fact, I'm going to harden his heart, and Pharaoh's not going to let the people go. I think we've grown accustomed to this now. Like we've talked about, Isaiah, God says, they're not going to listen. Jeremiah, people are not going to listen. Here is Moses. I want you to go and deliver the people, but understand something. You go stand before Pharaoh, even with the staff of God, and even with the miracles that I'm going to give you, what's going to happen? Pharaoh's going to harden his heart. Pharaoh's not going to listen. He's not going to let the people go. 
Which makes verse 22 then very interesting. Notice how God words this. After that happens, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. It's a really strange description, right? I mean, we're talking about we're talking about Israel here. We're talking about a whole nation of people. And rather than saying, now here's what I want you to say, Moses, after God, after Pharaoh has his heart hardened and he says that he's not going to let people go, he doesn't say, now here's what I want you to tell them. When you go back to Egypt, say, thus says the Lord, Israel is my people. Israel is my chosen nation or something like that. that we, we would read that and just kind of go, okay. Why say Israel is my firstborn son? And let him go so that he can serve me, so that he can worship me. One of the things that Exodus is going to paint for us that is really going to be great, because it really is the story of the scriptures itself, is that the story of Exodus is the picture of God's love for his son. This is what this book is depicting. God's love for his son. It is a story of a loving father who rescues his son. God wants his people to be free. He is going to set his son free so that his son can worship him and serve him as the loving father that he is. We are seeing the the father then. We are seeing God loving the son. And so this is that story then about that. Now what makes this pretty interesting when we think about now why would you do that? Why use this language and call Israel your son? There are a couple of layers to that. One is the most obvious is by calling Israel God's son. You are depicting a depth of relationship that is unparalleled. Uh, Israel is as precious to God like God's son. This is the love that God has for these people. And so it speaks of the depth of relationship. It is a depth of love. It's Unless you've had children, it's hard to explain. It is a a strange phenomenon that you have a child and then you go, you know what, I'll I'll die for that kid in a heartbeat. And I wouldn't even think twice about it. I remember when uh, Paige was born and we went from, you know, I don't really care what happens to me. Like, well, now it really matters that we're going to take care of these kids and and we're going to do whatever it takes to protect them. And here's God using that kind of relationship and saying, you understand how much you love your child. Well, Israel is my son. That's the the love that God is expressing when he speaks of the people Israel. And, And we should grasp that when you read the prophets and you hear how heartbroken God is by Israel's rebellion, because you're hearing that right here. This is my people. This is my child. This is my son. This is the one whom I love. The depth of the love that God has for these people is unmatched. In fact, when you get out to the prophets and you have Hosea describing it, and he's Hosea 11 verse 1, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. And so here is God saying, this is what I, how much I care about you. That verse might ring a bell though, doesn't it? 
Here is Hosea as prophesying about Israel and saying, remember the love that God has for you. In fact, remember the prophecy of Hosea is about how Israel has committed adultery against God. And here is God saying, don't you know the love that I had for you? When, when, when you were a child, I, I loved you. When you were in Egypt, I, I called you my son, remembering this very text right here. But remember in the New Testament what happens in Matthew chapter 2 again and verse 13. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Now we just read Hosea where he wasn't talking about Christ at all. He was talking about Israel and saying, Israel is my son. Israel I call out of Egypt. Israel is is the one I love. And fascinating that here we are in Matthew 2, and this is the second spot that we've just looked at here in the last couple of minutes. That is in Matthew 2 that is referencing this very scene right here in Exodus. And so again, what we are observing is the book of Exodus is becoming this picture book and foreshadowing all the things that are going to happen in Christ. And what is amazing here is that Jesus now is called God's son, just as Israel was. Now, when we read that in Matthew 2, it may be somewhat surprising to us because I think for most of us, we spend far more time in the New Testament than in the Old Testament. But the Old Testament said that was going to be the case. Isaiah 49, we studied Isaiah, we've slowed down on this chapter because this causes a lot of people confusion and trying to understand what God is talking about. And yet this is a stunning text. Notice Isaiah 49 verse 3. Notice here is God. He said to me. So speaking, here's what God said to me. And you're trying to watch who is the me that the Lord is speaking to. He said to me, you are my servant Israel. Okay, so we'd stop right there and go, okay, this God's talking to Israel, right? I'll keep reading. In whom I will be glorified. But I said, so Israel speaking, but I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is the Lord and my recompenses with, with, with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant. And you say, okay, sounds like Israel still, right? To bring Jacob back and that Israel might be gathered to him. And you went, wait a minute. I thought you were talking to Israel. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Now we know this is a prophecy about Christ because Acts quotes this like crazy saying that prophecy was about Christ. Yet notice what Isaiah is calling the person who was being spoken to. My servant Israel. Notice Israel and Christ are considered interchangeable in this prophecy, which is what we are seeing here. Here is Exodus beginning. Here, I loved Israel. Israel is my son whom I love. 
Out of Egypt I called my son. And Matthew comes along and goes, when Jesus was born, and when Jesus comes out of Egypt back to Israel, back to the land of Israel, that prophecy was fulfilled. Okay, so what's going on? Because that's all very confusing. Why would you do that? What the Old Testament is trying to set us up for and prepare us for is absolutely stunning. If you belonged to Israel in the Old Testament, what did that mean? Special privileges, right? You were considered the people of God. You enjoyed special relationships, special privileges. We could go to Romans where the Apostle Paul talks about. We have all kinds of privileges in belonging to Israel, receiving the oracles of God, being in covenant with God, all the blessings and all that it meant to be God's chosen people. So now notice when the New Testament spends its time describing Jesus as Israel, The whole point of the New Testament is showing that when you are connected to Jesus, you are belonging to Israel and enjoying all the same privileges and all the same blessings and all the same rights because you're God's chosen people. I've said to you many times, that's what makes John 15 so fascinating when Jesus comes along and says, I am the true vine. Well, in the Old Testament, who was the vine? Israel. Jesus comes along and goes, I'm the vine. I'm Israel. The scriptures have always been pointing to this connection saying, I gave you Israel as this picture book to show you how much I love you so that you would be in relationship with me. But that was not the goal. In fact, that's what Romans argues. That was not the goal. The goal was to show that when Christ came and you belonged to him, Now you would be God's truly special chosen people, his prized possession, if I can start using 1 Peter 2, and all that belongs in being the chosen race and the royal priesthood and all that. Now when you are in Christ, you belong to Israel and enjoy all those blessings. This is the whole point of Acts chapter 15 that is going on there regarding do Gentiles need to be circumcised to belong? No, because they already belong to Israel and that's all we need. Now you take all that and drop it into this. This is picturing for us the depth of the relationship and the depth of love that God has for those who belong to Jesus. That's the whole idea. Is that we belong to Him and that's how much He cares about us. And we, of course, ultimately see that in the cross. But from the very beginning, here way back in the book of Exodus, God is already trying to show us You're my children. Don't you know how much I love you? Don't you know how much I care about you? Don't you know that I see your affliction and I see your pain and I see your slavery to sin and I want you to know I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to rescue my son. I'm going to deliver him and I'm going to bring it about so that you can be set free. This is what is already beginning to boil up here. And so we've been talking about this being God's picture book of redemption. Now, Hold all that in your mind because that's what's going to help with this very strange scene here with Zipporah and circumcision that you read this and go, now why would you put this right here? This is going to help us as we go forward. Look at verse 24. And at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. we just point out real quick right here just for the... We don't know who the him is. Have you noticed that? It's... 
Who are we talking about? There are only two options of who him is. Him, Moses, or him, this firstborn son. It seems most likely we're talking about Moses. But I'll grant to you, I went around and around and around on trying to figure out who's getting about to get killed right here. But it seems that Moses is the one that we are talking about here because the rest of the discussion centers upon him. So at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Can I just stop right there and say that's already the grace of God? Because God doesn't have to try to put you to death. Let me try to find Moses so I can kill. If God wants you dead, you'll, you'll be dead. This is God already showing grace and giving an opportunity for repentance right here uh, for, for Moses. And I think it's interesting that the way that's worded like that, like this is going to be a chance for them to fix what's wrong. Well, you read verse 24 and go, well, what is going on? That here is God already beginning to bring about death. We haven't even got to Egypt yet. We've just started the trip and already somebody's about to die. Well, what happened? Verse 25. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So then, so he let him alone. It was then that she said a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Why is circumcision so important right here that God is about to kill, I believe, Moses because the child has not been circumcised? Remember, we go back to Genesis 17. We go back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And remember that uh, circumcision was a very important symbol. And remember, it was the sign of the covenant. It was a sign of the covenant that God had made with them. And remember those promises that were made, perhaps one of the most important of all, is that through, through Abraham, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And so this is how you had a symbol of the covenant, but at the same time recognize it was also what showed that you belonged to Israel. This was the identifying mark. Again, Romans and Galatians are all about that. This problem of it, you must be circumcised to belong to Israel. And so that's what's happening here at this moment. If you were not circumcised, you weren't part of the covenant. It's an argument God makes throughout the Old Testament. Now, bring in everything that we just did in the last paragraph, that this is a picture book of redemption, that we have here our new Israel and God's Son. Why is this scene put here for us? Well, we're recognizing that with Jesus as the new Israel, and you have to belong to Him to be in relationship, and the picture here is, if you're not circumcised, death ensues. That's what's about to happen. This child is not circumcised. And therefore, death is going to come. This is unfolding what the New Testament image is all about. Regarding belonging to God, enjoying covenant status with Him, and all the rights and privileges and blessings, and the concept of circumcision. You might know this passage pretty well, Colossians 2. And verse 11, in him, you also were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision by putting off the body of the flesh and the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. 
Why does Paul use that language? Why describe baptism as the concept of circumcision? Circumcision, Because that's the act by which you were entered into the covenant family. This showed that you belong to Israel through circumcision. Here's Paul saying, this is how you show that you belong to this covenant family and how you enjoy its rights and enjoy its privileges. I think it's worth pointing out and keeping in mind was we need to emphasize this when we teach this concept to people notice that the text says that baptism requires faith in the power of God I think we may have done a disservice by overstating the act and understating faith in the act Uh, it's not just simply let's get everybody thrown in water and it's all going to be fine faith in the power of God to cut off this body of the flesh to deal with our sins is what is happening in the act of baptism. But recognize by tying baptism to circumcision, you can't belong to the family of God unless you've been baptized because that's the whole essence of circumcision. Circumcision was the very mark that showed you belong to Israel and enjoyed all the rights and all the privileges. And this is what the Apostle Paul is bringing to us. When you are outside of the covenant, there was judgment and death. But when you are inside the covenant of God, there's grace and life. And for baptism, then we have a sign that we have crossed the line, leaving the world, leaving sin, leaving darkness, and entered into the family of God's saved people. This is what this is representing and showing to us. You've been set free from your sins. You now belong belong to the family of God your sins are washed away it is an important critical necessary every word I can possibly think required act that God has given because that was the whole essence of what circumcision was about it was a symbol of this covenant that God had made and before we leave it behind and and see the power of it as this text rounds out I think it's also interesting that a lot of time is spent there talking about blood Exodus is all about that. Redemption doesn't happen without blood. You can't belong to the family of God without blood. There's not going to be able to have entrance into God's covenant without a shedding of blood. And even in this, there is a declaration about that. About this is then a covenant of of blood that is happening here that that this would, would take place. Now, watch the results of all of this. And I think this will bring this paragraph then all together. In verse 27, we have the Lord says to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went to meet him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses and Aaron and Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord, which he had sent to speak and all the signs that he commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. Notice the response of verse 31. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. That's the goal. What happens right here is the very purpose that God intends. Moses and Aaron return. They say, here is what God has done. 
that God is visiting the people of Israel, that He has come to deliver is what they mean by that. God is going to rescue. The time for deliverance has come and that God has seen the affliction of the people and God is, is about to act. And notice how this is set up for us that it is God's purpose to set people free from slavery. God is going to come and rescue the people and set the people free. And the result is the people then will worship God and serve God and praise God. And the New Testament has the same expectation for us when we recognize that this is our redemption pattern. What does it mean for our circumcision? New Testament circumcision is described as baptism, Colossians 2, 11 through 12. If you remember how Romans 6 opens, Romans 6 talks about uh, the necessity and, and, and importance of baptism. In fact, why don't you go and turn there because I'm going to pull up a bunch of verses uh, in Romans as we conclude. Romans 6 verse 1, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, unfortunately, what we've had to spend so much time doing with those first four verses is talk about how you need to be baptized. True, but that's not the point of the text. The point of the text is, do you understand what baptism means? And notice each line of that describes that. In like verse 4, don't you know that that means you've been raised to the glory of the Father that you would walk in newness of life? Verse 2, how can we who've died to sin still live in it? The whole point of baptism is to describe that there is a life change that has come from that. Because we recognize that we were dead in our sins. We were enslaved to sin. We were captive to it. And God has come and rescued us. And which is to cause us to worship and serve Him. In fact, I'm just going to glance at a few of them. The rest of the chapter does that. Romans 6, 6. We know that the old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Notice this. You've been set free from your slavery. You've been set free from sin. And what is that supposed to mean? The old self is crucified. You're not supposed to live that way any longer. Verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Here, every other sentence is, this is what your baptism means is that you are a completely changed person. Now you serve and worship God because He set you free. Verse 22, But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. And the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. This is what Exodus is doing. Notice how that picture flowed through in describing Israel is God's son and God loves his Israel. God loves his son and he is going to rescue them and he is going to save them. And those who belong to Israel, who belong to Christ, they're the ones who are going to enjoy this freedom. They're the ones who are going to be set free. And you see that identifying mark of belonging to Israel and belonging as God 
God's people through circumcision, which in the New Testament is a picture of baptism, which is supposed to cause in us the very reaction that we see the people doing in chapter 4, verse 31, is bowing down, worshiping and praising God because He has seen our affliction and has visited us and delivered us from our sins. That's why that's there. It's to show this is how it's all going to go in the new covenant. We've been saved so that we would serve. We've been set free so that we would be changed people. That we would no longer live in sin and live for self, but instead serve a living God. And so what Exodus wants to show for us in this picture book of redemption is that we have been set free and now have a hope of belonging as God's family. That's why... When in the book of Acts, you will hear Paul, when the Jews say and reject Paul, and they're not going to listen anymore. And Paul says, then we're taking this to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles go nuts. They're rejoicing. They're going, yes! We can have what only Israel was given in the Old Testament. Covenant status. Prized possession of God. Belonging to Him. Freedom. Redemption. He is our Father. We are His child. He loves us now in that degree. And that's why you'll always see in the book of Acts the Gentiles just cannot believe that they are now given the opportunity to enjoy life and to enjoy covenant status and enjoy relationship. This is what Romans talks about with the whole olive tree image. And this is what we've seen even Jeremiah prophesying about and we'll prophesy some more about about the coming days when it's going to be that it's going to be everybody who's going to be able to enjoy this. This was the promise given all the way back to Abraham through him All the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. God has always had in mind that it was going to be everybody. And the reason he used Israel was one, to bring forth Christ, but two, to use them to show the world, this is what my picture book of salvation will be. What has happened to them on a small scale is going to happen in large scale to everybody. And so for us, as we come into the New Testament, we get to see Christ and see Him as our Savior and our Deliverer, our Rescuer, the one who brings about the new Exodus. And if we attach ourselves to Him and follow Him, we now get to belong as the new Israel, so long as we have also put on that covenant sign of baptism and faith of the power of the working of God. And therefore enjoy all the privileges and all the status and all the hope and all the blessings that come from that so that God is able to say to us, like he even could say to Israel, that you are my children whom I love. And how God wants us so badly to belong to him as his family to be his children. Everything that we read about in the scriptures from the very beginning of Genesis all the way through we keep tracing this theme again and again that God does everything he can on his part 
so that you can belong to him as his child. Everything he's ever done was to bring that about. Everything that's ever happened, every work he's ever done, everything he's ever performed, every picture that he's had, every nation that he's used, it is always coming to this very point to show to each of us, I want you to belong to my family. And what it means to belong to him should give us great hope and great encouragement and great comfort to know that's what he thinks about us. He loves us like a father loves his son. And you model that over and think, that's what makes the cross so staggering. Because he said that to Jesus and said, that's my son. This is my beloved son whom I love. And sacrifices him so that we can be in the covenant. That's what Exodus was modeling. We'll sing a song now. And I hope that you'll think about the grace of God. It is hard to fathom that from the foundations of the world, as as Ephesians says, God had all this in mind. That this was how it was going to go. And he used all of this so that we would be able to look back at that and learn and understand the character of God and the love of God and how much he desires for us to be with him. I hope we will take the opportunity to consider our lives and to think about what our baptism meant. Because God says that means you crossed a line. You've left the world and come into his family. And that means a change of life. It means we don't live for ourselves and we don't look like the world, but we present our bodies as instruments of righteousness. And we follow him with all of our heart, not because he tells us to, not because he commands it of us, but because he took us out of the the camp of death and doom and slavery and said, you can be my children. Now will you worship me? We must have the response of the people of chapter 4, verse 31, when we hear the news of deliverance, that we will bow the knee and worship him. If you're ready to come to him tonight, the opportunity stands ready. Won't you come now while we stand and while we sing?